All right, we're back. Part two. Yeah, it's good to see you, Jeff. Good to see I'm you really, again. I'm really enjoying having these conversations with you. It's really encouraging to me as we yeah, kind of dig man. through and push back and forth these these truths that that we incur, uh, enjoy and and talk about privately. I, I really enjoy uh, yeah. really just dialoguing about it with you. Yeah, agreed, man. It's awesome to have this technology be able to do this and then let other people in on those conversations because mm-hmm. they're so encouraging to us. So yeah, glad to be with you again and uh, continue this conversation on the topic of finding Jesus in our study of scripture and not not missing him. We talked about in the last half hour, this idea of um, our human tendency to to miss the point as we study scripture there, there's a tendency to to miss christ to to try to make it about ourselves how we can get it right justify ourselves how we can secure life for ourselves and we turn what was meant to be uh, from our good creator revelation of who he is and his salvation we, we turn it into like a self-salvation mm-hmm. kind of uh, self-improvement manual and that is not the that's not god's design for this revelation so we're learning about that and we're gonna spend a little more time now talking about you know how how is it that we find Christ in our study of Scripture, and, and certain passages are more challenging than others. So we're going to look at a sure. few of those and try to unpack for folks, um, you know, what it looks like to to not miss Jesus, but but to see Him front and center, even as we study some of these Old Testament types of passages. Right. Yeah, I think we want to avoid you know doing some of the moralistic things like you know finding ways to to slay our giants like David. Yeah, you know, right. I've got my my five smooth stones and now I'm going to take down the giant. You know, what are the five giants in your life? And yeah. those kinds of things. We can actually look for 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 our Redeemer in the Bible. Look for our Savior in yeah. the Bible. So, yeah, which just for a moment, just to pause there and say, even even as we think about that, I mean, we were we were created by God to know him, to be known by him, loved by him, to know him and love him in return. And, and, and the, the, the major payoff for us is getting to see him, behold him. And so sad that we would miss him, that we would obscure him, that we'd be distracted, you know, squirrel, you know, we see something (laughs) else, right. We go down another path. Right. And and so he's gracious and faithful. Uh, And just one other thing comes to mind because it's so encouraging. Uh, Last Sunday's sermon, you talked about, uh, the psalm uh, is it surely goodness and mercy will follow me, and that word follow is like the idea of pursuit, like a relentless pursuit. God is pursuing us with His goodness and mercy, and isn't that fantastic? Great that He does that because if it were up to us, all we like sheep have gone astray. Yeah. Right? I think those are the things that sustain us in our day to day lives because you know every one of us is encountered with our own failures and challenges, mm-hmm. um, challenges outside of us. Challenges at the, you know, in, in the broader scheme of things in life and yeah. country and world. Yeah. And then the challenges that arise from within us. And then to know that while I want to follow after God and I want to know God and I want to worship God and I want to strive toward him. Sure. Yeah. What's way better is the fact that he's actually pursuing me with all of the good things that he describes about himself. Not good things like wealth and prosperity, but good things like his mercy and kindness and grace that he wants to flood into my life, that no matter what's going on around me, mm-hmm. no matter what tragedy I might be facing mm-hmm. um, internally or externally, mm-hmm. his goodness 
can sustain me because I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good because he's pursued after me faithfully. And if we need evidence of that, what is the greatest like flashing neon sign evidence of that? It is Christ crucified. It's what he did for us. Say, hey, look, I meet you at your worst place. I, I come for you to rescue you from the curse, from sin and shame and death. And then there's the resurrection. So we know that well, even with all the things we go through, as you just described, you know, the ups and downs of life, the difficult things of life, we, we, we don't have some guarantee that God's going to spare us of those things. In yeah. fact, we have the opposite. We're, we're sure that we're going we're gonna to suffer in this world. Jesus said that, right? And those sufferings um, seen properly lead us to relinquish our hold on this life, realizing that this life has uh, not all good things to offer yeah. us and to say, okay, there's more though. Yep. And the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. Yep. And coming. in this in this moment, in this life, we have light, momentary, heavy, uh, light, yeah, afflictions, momentary right? afflictions, yep. but they're re, uh, resulting in a far more eternal, exceeding weight Yep. Of, glory of glory that's coming. Yep. Which is amazing. That's mind blowing, right? Because you think of the hardships in life, they feel so heavy. They feel so profound. And for God to say, hey, you know, I know, right? It's, it's a sense because of what Jesus is sympathizing with all our weaknesses. He understands, hey, I know that feels like the end of all things for you right now. I know that feels like the end of the world, but it's not. You have this resurrection hope. And someday you're going to look back and say, wow, that was that was nothing. The By real comparison. enjoyment of life is still to come. Yep. Now we enjoy right. tastes life. We get tastes yep. of this now, but the real uninterrupted joy of eternal life lies ahead of us. Yep. And the difficulties that we face here and now, while we don't like them and we don't say, Lord, give me more of them. <laughs> right. At least I don't. Right. No, with you? You. Nope. no, we don't, but, but they are preparing us to understand just how awesome what God has in store for us really is. Right. Yeah. And one of the delights that that's awesome that God uh, created and, and affords us is this giving us this revelation, mm-hmm. recording his revelation in a book. I think of all, all the different endeavors people engage in in life, you know, in, in areas of, um, I don't know, career or uh, hobbies or whatever, like God's created this world filled with all these different experiences for people to explore and and gain more and more knowledge and more and more understanding. And when when people experience those things as exciting and exhilarating, it's because there's an, there's an enjoyment, right, in that discovery. Mm-hmm. Well, the Bible itself is God giving us the most, I mean, this is the most rewarding treasure hunt of all and something to pour ourselves into and to, to use our, our, our thinking and reading abilities and to carefully dissect what's written here uh, to discover the treasure of who Christ is. So it's, it's exciting. That's, it's, we, we can think of this as just, ah, it's just a, a book and just words and it just sits on the shelf with all my other you know boring books. We're like, there's nothing boring about this. This is life-giving. It, because it is. what it reveals and that's, who it reveals. And that and that's that's one of the great things as you read like through Psalm 19, it talks about the um the the beautiful things that God has made in his um natural revelation, his yep. special revelation of the 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 world, and and we're in awe of the glory that we see in looking at the heavens yep. and the things yep. that God has made. And then the second part of Psalm 19 talks about 
the benefits that are there from the word, from his word, from his gospel that gives us life and makes us wise and those kinds of things. And as it gets toward the end, uh, he talks about the fact that it's sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. And the reason that, that we find it to be so sweet is because it's, it's revealing the kind of God he is in the face of the kind of person yeah, I am. Right, right. It's amazing. I think it is in the same text. I think there in Psalm 19, it talks about it's more valuable than gold and riches. Yes. And I, God is just illustrating for us in a variety of ways how awesome this deposit of truth is for us, which is not just information, not just data, but is a revelation pointing us to a person who is our our creator God, the one who made us, the one who understands better than we do why we exist, you know, why we're here, and who's inviting us into relationship, into this discovery of seeing Jesus as as our Savior and as as the one we need, and then um, um, inviting us to walk in in union with him and relationship with him. So so that's kind of a little bit from the heart there about what we're talking about, And, and let's as we said last time, let's go into some maybe examples because I'm sure for people it's, it's, and then for us too, it, it's like challenging. How, how mm-hmm. do I, how do I do this then? You know, what's, is there, is there a approach or, or there techniques? And, and, and before you comment on that, Rob, let me say one more thing. You know, we came out of uh, Bible college and seminary, went to different schools, but similar, similar instruction in terms of treating this text like any other text. Mm-hmm trying to understand accurately what's written here by looking at things like context and the historical context and cultural context, and then breaking down the grammar and trying to understand the the authorial intent and not just importing our own ideas into it, but trying to view it as written by another author and and grappling with those things like you would with any other piece of literature. Mm -hmm. That's important. But what we're getting at here is kind of like the crux of the matter, the whole point of it. And we could say, how it all fits into this redemptive context. So like the cosmic context of God's grand narrative of redemption, that's what we're talking about, right? Yeah. So the Bible, as, as you're talking about, is both human yep. and divine. Yep. So the, the human part of it is you see what's going on in the, in the, the lives of people that are, are receiving that revelation initially and the, the grammar that's there. So that's the human part. It's, it's a human book. But it's a divine book because it's inspired. And so there's a spiritual intent that we only come to as the spirit unveils our eyes, right? Yep, it's, right. it's eye has not seen nor ear heard the things that God has prepared for those that uh, that love him. Like often we apply that to heaven and it's fine to apply it sure. to heaven because it's true. Sure. That that's a, a truth about something that God has made. But the context of 1 Corinthians 2 is about the things that God has revealed and the natural man in my human state doesn't understand the things of the spirit of right. God because they are foolishness, foolishness to yep. us, but God unveils it to us. Yep. And so as we look at the, the scriptures, while we can see the human part and, you know, there are some, some really, there are unbelievers, people that don't actually know Christ as savior that can do a good job of breaking yep. down a text yep. from a, a scholarship and yeah, from a, from yep. a structure standpoint, seeing the, um, the, the genre and the, background. They, they can do great work as far as human data, but only one can unveil the spiritual intent. And that's the spirit of God who God has given to us as a gift and a treasure, God himself dwelling in us. 
and unveiling the truth to our eyes and illuminating our minds. And so as we look at the pages of Scripture, we're seeing the human side of it, and we're seeing the divine intention. And Jesus unveiled for us in John 5, like we talked about last Mm -hmm. time, and in Luke 24, that he has told us that he is in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is pointing to him. It's foreshadowing him. And so as we read the Old Testament spiritually, we're dependent on the Lord. Lord, help me to see. Help me to understand. We're looking for how that Old Testament text is pointing out our need because of our brokenness and our sinfulness and our human tendencies, our need for the coming one and how it foreshadowed all that, that he would do. Right. And that would be one of the keys in, in seeing Christ in our interpretation is we would say every text in one way or another points us to that human condition, that human need, right? Every text in some way points us to that. And, and, And so Maybe we we look at a few examples of that. Um, sure. uh, uh, if you want, I'll go first here in Psalm 100. Do it. Uh, that's one great. that I was talking to. I was talking to a friend, another pastor who I actually went to seminary with, and we we're talking about different ways of approaching Scripture from an interpretation standpoint. And I was telling him that I, I'd come to this conclusion that you know Christ is is pointed to everywhere, and and he was kind of challenging that a bit. He had a little different perspective on it. And so in that pushing back, he said, hey, what about something like Psalm 100? You know, where do you see Jesus in Psalm 100? So let me read it. It's a short psalm. Let me read it and just briefly comment on where I, where I would see or how I would see Christ in this, in this text. So Psalm 100 says, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. So as I think about that psalm and how it points me to Jesus, first I start with, well, what does it say about the the human condition? Well, I can easily infer here as I read this, this, this is an appropriate expression of praise that God deserves and do I praise God that way every moment of my life? Am I consistently praising him that way? Well, there's times when I do, but not consistently and not certainly not as he deserves, right? Mm-hmm. So right away I can say, well, hey, this is exposing my human condition in terms of, you know, find myself complaining or I find myself thinking negatively about something. I'm losing sight of who this amazing God is who deserves to be joyfully worshiped all the time. I'm not always joyfully worshiping him because of my condition, because of my blinders. So in one sense, I could say it, it exposes my need, right? My my sin. And incidentally, or maybe more, more significant than just incidentally, I mean, Jesus lived perfectly. He was the righteous one. In his heart, there was never anything but praise for his father as he lived as as God and man. Well, he lives in this human form, and he is my representative, my substitute, and he is always thankful, always joyful in terms of seeing and appreciating the gifts of his father in his earthly life. There was never, you know, a, a lack in that area, mm-hmm. right? This is perfect celebration in the heart of Christ, in his praise. And so there's that sense in which it points to Jesus. 
Uh, there are really probably countless ways countless. we could say point to Jesus, but just a few others uh, saying the Lord himself made us. And you mentioned last time we talked about this and how, hey, Jesus in the New Testament were told he He was the creator, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were all active in creation. So Jesus is, is active in creation. Look what it says next. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Well, can you think of anywhere else in scripture where it talks about sheep <laughs> and a pasture and a shepherd? Well, how about Jesus being the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, right? He's the he is the quintessential shepherd. Yes. He is the capital S shepherd. So, so in that sense, it points to Christ. And, and we can see that most clearly in the New Testament. This is a pointer here to that. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Well, could I enter God's gates? Could I enter his courts if not for the cleansing and forgiveness of Christ, the covering of Christ? Well, I wouldn't be. We see that in the tabernacle, the temple. Not just anyone could just wander into the Holy of Holies. Only certain, you know, the high priest could go in there and a certain person. So, and this was all pointing forward to the, the greatest high priest, Jesus himself, who says, hey, once I've come, I've torn the veil. Now you can come anytime. You can come to your father anytime. You and I were in your office yesterday and uh, your two younger kids came running in to see their dad and, and went and hugged Rob and and it's that moment, it's like that's a little illustration of the kind of access we have to our Heavenly Father all the time because Jesus busted open the doors and said, yep. come, come whenever. So so again, here, here we are savior. again, right? Um, for the Lord is good, okay? Jesus, we know, the embodiment of good, His loving kindness is everlasting, His faithfulness to all generations. Wow, I mean, where do we see that more clearly than in the person and work of Jesus? Mm-hmm. It's, it's all pointing to Him. And... I think just just kind of as a, as a natural way for me to try to make sure I always think clearly wherever I am, where there's a, a call for action, God's prescribing something, go do this. I have to ask myself, can I adequately do that? Am I able? Okay, he says, come and enter my gates with thanksgiving. That's a call to action for you. Mm-hmm. Enter my courts with thanksgiving. The scriptures are clear that wherever God prescribes something, he supplies something. Right. That call for thanksgiving, that he is due, he's worthy of thanksgiving. He supplies it for me. Listen to I know you know the passage. Hey, listen, 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 listen to this. I've never I'm, heard this one. Where's that? Because I'm, I'm a preacher. How do you pronounce L- that? Listen to this one. Ephesians? <laughs> <laughs> How do you pronounce that? Yeah. So oh. Ephesians 5, 18 says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. So there's the call. Don't mm-hmm. do this, do this. Mm-hmm. Be filled with the spirit. Then he uses these participles, yep. meaning these yep. are the results. Yep. These are not action calls. This is the result of being filled with the Spirit. So he says, this is what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always. He doesn't say give thanks always. Mm -hmm. He says, when you're filled with the Spirit, you will be giving thanks. Giving thanks always for everything to the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So God calls us to, uh, to, to give thanks. There's the prescription, the directive, but he supplies it. Yeah. He doesn't say, yeah. figure out a way to give thanks to me now, yeah. Jeff. Work really hard on this thankfulness thing, right? right? So instead yep. he says, I've given you my spirit. 
And when you allow my spirit to fill your heart, to, to, to control your thinking, you will give thanks. This is a supply of the Lord. So now that's talking about the Holy Spirit. Is he connected to, yeah, to our Savior? Because of everything we have in Christ. And here's one way to connect it, I think. And I'll, I'll use this illustration. Years ago, I was, I was actually in, in seminary working on a master's degree a while back, and I was going through a tough time. I was discouraged, and, and a well-meaning pastor and mentor in my life looked at me and said, hey, Jeff, be joyful. Just be <laughs> joyful. And I, and I went away from that thinking, uh, okay, so he obviously doesn't think I'm being joyful, and, and I wasn't being joyful. And then I began thinking, okay, how do I like lean into that. Okay. I'm going to be really, I'm going to be joyful. Right. And and the ironies, and it wasn't like this epiphany happened back then, but over the years, some of the things, one thing as I realized with regard to joy, with regard to thankfulness in sort of an ironic twist is I realized, well, I'm not by nature joyful. I'm not looking at my circumstances through the lenses of truth through God, from God's perspective. Therefore I'm not joyful, right? This is a fleshly fallen mindset, you know, that I'm stuck in right now. Uh, when I, when I consider that even in my thankless, entitled, selfish, uh, grudging, negative being, God is for me and loves me and forgives me and mm. doesn't hold it against me. It doesn't just say, hey, be joyful. Hey, fix that. But says, <laughs> hey, you know what? In Christ, man, I you're covered. And I view you as if you were always thankful and always joyful. Now it's like, you know what amazingly happens? Oh my goodness, I'm actually experiencing some joy. Joy, real joy. And some thankfulness. Because it's a which, gift. And it's grounded in Jesus, mm-hmm. who he is, what he's done for me, I, that it's okay because that that provision is there. I, I've said it uh, in Washington, I used to say to people, uh, what God orders, he pays for. Mm. What God requires from you, he first provides for you. And like, mm-hmm. that's mind blowing stuff. Uh, and, and And we're saying, hey, that is the main message of the Bible, not come bring God something that he doesn't already have. He's, he's full. Yeah. He's full. That's right. You know, as you get, you know, you're covering Psalm 100, you, you, you're introduced yeah. there in verse right. five, something that is my favorite Old Testament word. So I have to talk yeah. about it for just is a moment. Chesed. Chesed. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, so is this going to filter spit, out? You should, <laughs> you should spit on that. Yeah. <laughs> Chesed. Um, yeah. His steadfast love, that's, Hesed endures forever. Steadfast love, loyal love, yep. covenant loyal love, promised love, loving kindness, it's translated some places, mercy other places. Mm-hmm. But steadfast love is most clearly seen through the covenant that was ratified by the shed blood of, Christ, blood of Christ, right? Yep. So you can't read Psalm 100 correctly yep. without seeing that Jesus' blood has provided an eternal, faithful love of God that cannot be taken away from you. If I read Psalm 100 and I don't yep. think about that, yep. I have missed the gold, some of the gold, of what God is offering to me here. Right, And this is how a way in which Jesus would have gone through the Psalms yep. and the prophets and said, yep. These are testifying of me. You have no steadfast love that lasts without the shedding of my blood. Right, right, right. It's, it's, it, in a sense, it forces us there. If, if we're understanding it 
accurately, like the idea of entering his gates and his courts. Mm. It, it, it sort of, in a gracious way, push, pushes us there interpretively, right? Isn't, isn't it beautiful? Yeah, it's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. So can I, can I take a stab at one? Go for it. Do you have yeah. something else on that? No, nope, go okay. for it. Right, I don't want to go for steal it. any of your thunder. Keep going. Nope. All right. Look at Psalm 13. It's like a, a random psalm that God offers to us and provides for us. David, he's in the midst of grave difficulty. And likely, maybe this is the uh, scenario, one of the scenarios in which Saul was chasing him and he was despairing of life because he, he thought someone was going to snuff it out. And he, he records this in verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy says, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foe, foes rejoice because I am shaken. But... I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So like we see this psalm, random psalm, and he starts off by talking about like a, a normal human experience mm -hmm. of feeling alone, feeling distress, despair, Trauma, um, pain, uh, he's obviously hurting like many people have experienced. Maybe deeper, maybe not as deep, right. but deep. Mm -hmm. So much so that he says, God, where are you? He's in pain. In verse 2, he says, since God's not answering me, I'm going to just mullet myself. I'm going to counsel my own heart and just talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. And you know, that results in more pain, right? Sorrow, sorrow, sorrow all day long. So much so that now I'm, instead of hearing from God, I'm tired of hearing from myself. Now I can hear the echoes of my enemies saying, yeah, where's your God now, buddy? And so in, in his desperation there, he starts to beg in verses three and four. God, consider, hear me, answer me. I've been crying out. I've been asking. I'm really frustrated. I'm really broken. This hurts. Light up my eyes. Let me see. Let me see your response because I, I can't bear this emptiness and this silence from you. And I only hear my enemies acting as if they've won. That's verses three and four. And then five and six, he thinks, I know something about God. I have already tasted something here. I have trusted in your steadfast love, your unchanging love, your loyal, faithful, kind love. I've, 
I've, I've already tasted. This is something that's taken place in the past. And because I've tasted it in the past, I can look forward believing your promise. I've tasted and now I, I can look ahead. You aren't going to stop loving me now. Even when it feels like that, even when it, like all the circumstances, everything inside of me tells me this, but I've tasted that the Lord is gracious and, and that grace doesn't end just because I don't feel it. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I'll sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Uh, you know, forget not all his benefits, Psalm 103. All right, so how does all of this pain point a person? How does this experience point a person to Jesus? Where is Jesus in this text? Well, I think there's a lot of ways you can get there. Um, first of all, you're seeing you're absolutely on your own, desperate, and in need. Mm-hmm. So you only have one place to go for hope. Mm-hmm. You're not going to find hope muttering in your head. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to find hope by listening to what other people have to say, unless they're telling you, right, look to him. There's truth. only one yep. place. Hope. Yep. So because um, his internal and his own resources are exhausted, he goes to the only place where he can get some kind of solution. So he calls out and we have uh, an entryway into the, to our father because of the blood of Christ, right? He's, he's, he's given us a, a, a way by the, the new and living way, which is through the blood of Christ. We have an entryway. We have a mediator to, to go to. Our, the spirit hears our utterances and he cries out with things we don't have any clue about. Romans 8 talks about. But while we feel lonely, we can always remember the promise and that is Jesus, God, has told us he'll never leave us or forsake us. The way that God has um, produced for us a bountiful blessing is because of the work of Christ. And he, and he remembers this. He remembers that God is a, a provider, one who gives um, abundantly, bountifully. And because of that, he can rejoice in salvation. So, you know, there, there are, again, a lot of different, uh, different elements that we can think about here, about how this leads me to, to Jesus. And that is, you know, I'm needy. Sometimes, you know, there's no human being that's going to come to my rescue. Um, but our Savior has promised to be with us forever. Um, we remember God's love through the sacrifice of his Son and our Savior, Jesus. And we believe the promise that he is going to turn all of these things to be worthwhile. Now, the, the text doesn't say anything, doesn't say Jesus. <laughs> right. It doesn't even say Messiah. Right. Um, though we do see the all caps Lord, right. Yahweh, which right. uh, yep. is applied also, to the Lord Jesus, yep, right? points to Christ. So, yep. But there's plenty of ways to get yep. to Jesus right. from this text that doesn't talk about him. And Jesus tells us, right? He talked yep. to them from every section of Scripture, Yep. explaining the things about himself. Yep. There are lots of ways to get there. I just offered a couple of thoughts. Right. Yeah, right. And and I could take that and and marry that with, I'm thinking of Exodus. I preached through Exodus not too long ago. And and it was my first time studying the book of Exodus with the lenses of of Christ and looking for him. And, 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 and you see this dynamic with David and the Psalms, and you see it in the, in the narrative of Exodus 
that story where these these physical realities in the Old Testament, you know, the people were in need of water and in need of bread. And you come to the New Testament and Jesus says, hey, I'm the water, I'm the bread. And even references explicitly Moses. He says, hey, look, I'm the bread that comes from heaven. I'm the, the real bread that you need for the life of your soul. So there's pointers like that. And then when you think of David and his surrounded by enemies, and there's a sense in which I think that there's a sense in which we're seeing yet like the world is filled with, with sinful people and we are one of those sinful people. And the greatest enemy we have is not out there. The greatest enemy we have is in here. Mm -hmm. And, and David wasn't quite seeing all of that crystal clear. Like we get to see it in the gospel, but in the gospel we get to see, wow, God has conquered my greatest enemy, which is myself, my, my sinful fallen self that's bent against God. He's even taken care of that. He's he's defeated. That's why I think Paul uses the terminology and the imagery of of the triumphal entry in places. I mean, there's triumphal entry in the entry in the Gospels, and there's Paul referencing um, kind of this this march of triumph where mm. a king would lead his conquered. Uh, vanquished foes, he would lead them in this parade, and it was a way of uh, Paul was was saying, "Hey, look, we've been conquered by the king, and unlike the human kings who would then take those people and make them slaves in a very negative and burdensome and deadly way, Jesus is the king who takes us as his servants and slaves in a liberating, generous." gracious way and and now we're the ones who have we've been we've been conquered in, in the best again the best conceivable way god god has dealt with my biggest problem which mm. is which is me and he's provided forgiveness and covering and new life and opened my eyes Makes to see son he made me a son right or a, or a daughter in the case of ladies and, yes. and it's like he's he's taking care of his people he's dealt he's dealt bountifully with us and and, and while David, some of that still was sort of physical in his world of like, you know, peace from his enemies and, uh, you know, the abundance of food and his army growing and things like that, that he was able to enjoy at times, like the real abundance is in the provision of Christ mm-hmm. and the things of the spirit, the love of joy and peace and all those spiritual realities of the kingdom that we get to experience in Christ, as you've said many times, tastes of those here until we get home and it's only forever Mm -hmm. that so so lots lots of ways um maybe we we go all over the place but we 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 kind of conclude with that one as kind of an example to Mm -hmm. look at another angle of this that i would like us to talk about maybe for a few minutes is you know when you hear someone say what about the the good examples in the bible what about the josephs the daniels what about the the enochs what about the the good examples of people i mean Aren't they kind of there for us to to emulate, to say, look at their conduct or look at the decisions they made or whatever, and now I'm going to try to be like them. I'm going to dare to be a Daniel or you mentioned King David earlier. Like, So what do you, what do, you do with, with those? You, you had to introduce dare to be a Daniel into yeah, my mind. Yeah, is that running now through your mind? Now, now hey, it's, you're it's welcome. echoing. You're yes. welcome. Um, well, I, I think there's there's a couple of ways that we can think about it. Sure. Um, you know, Joseph, there were, there were some positive things that we can see about Joseph of anyone that knows anything about what God has revealed in humanity knows that the only good that came out of Joseph is because God was working in him, right? Joseph wasn't like born and thinking, I really want to just be an honorable person and I'm going to be the best servant in, uh, in Pharaoh's or in, in uh, Potiphar's house. And I'm, I'm going to do all these things great because I'm, I'm just a spectacular person. 
Um, there are things you can find in Joseph's life that that maybe you could be critical about. Um, but you could you could also say, all right, you know, there were some some good things that came out. But we all know that the only reason anything good came out of Joseph's life, if they're exemplary, mm-hmm. it's because the, God the Spirit was working. God, God was graciously working through him. Daniel, the same way. You know, you look at Daniel's life and the things that he did. Commend him. That's that's great. It's yep. good that yep. he you know he purposed in his heart and he 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 didn't um, yep. bow down and his you know Shadrach Meshach and Abednego didn't bow down and. Um, Daniel kept praying when the, the, the edict came out. Those are good things. Yep. And we're not going to yep. critique that and say those weren't good things. It's just that they're, those things are received by God's grace as a gift that came out in his life. They, they're not the, the hero of the text. Right. And Human beings are never the hero of the text. There's only one hero. Mm-hmm. He dwells in heaven and he's placed his spirit in our hearts and he sent his son into our world right. that he created. And that, that brings my mind back to John 5, where we started this conversation, where Jesus talks about the religious leaders, you know, missing him, missing life. And where he goes next is, he says, I don't receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I've come in my father's name. You do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? I mean, I think he's touching on this tendency of humans to look to myself or other people for glory or to try to share glory or to to glorify a person or whatever. And it's like, that's the human tendency. And, and so we, so, so right there we have Christ saying, Hey, look, this is about the glory of God. He's the hero. He's the life giver. And we can also say, when we look at a Daniel or a Joseph, when you look at it in the context of the whole of Scripture, where God clearly, whether it's in Genesis 3, later in Genesis 6, the flood account, you, you go to the New Testament, Paul, perhaps more clearly than anywhere else, diagnoses the human heart with great detail, like this inspired cardiologist, hey, this is the human condition. Mm-hmm. And all have sinned and there's none righteous. I mean, this is yeah, that's, everybody. That's right where I am here. I, I, okay. Yeah, yeah. this is everybody. Including Daniel, including Joseph, including Enoch, including, other than Jesus, every human who's yeah. ever walked this earth. God in his mercy upon Daniel <laughs> didn't reveal everything about him. Right. Yeah, right. Not not on the written page, right? But we know Daniel is a man of like sinful flesh. Mm-hmm. And so none is righteous, no not one, applies to him. No one understands applies to him. No one seeks for God applies to him. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God applies to him. So God in his mercy uh, upon Daniel didn't reveal those things. Right. So I, I don't think that our goal in going through our Old Testament Bibles and finding these characters, whether it be Adam, Eve, um, Abel, yep. any of yep. these Characters, we're not looking for them to be our hero. None of them are heroes. They're people yep. that experienced life in their time, like we experienced life in our time, and their flaws and failings and sinfulness was definitely apparent in one way or another to them. They knew they didn't have what it takes mm-hmm. to be right before God. Mm-hmm. Um, Abraham 
believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Right, the father that's, of faith, right? That's, I mean, that's what it's all about. Right. And we see that because right. there's a God who redeems. There's a God who's a savior. There's a God mm-hmm. who rescues. And he's been rescuing people since the beginning. And he's going to rescue people till the last day mm-hmm. because he's determined to do this before he ever made the place in the first place. Yeah. It's wonderful. Right. What a God. Yep. yep. Amen to that, man. It's really good. Um, Another thought before we kind of start to land the plane here and, and and wrap this up, but I think it's worth saying because these stories hit the news, sadly, all too often where some well-known Christian leader has fallen into sin or has been exposed as having been in sin for a long time. Usually it's some egregious form of sin. It's adultery or it's something like that. And, and we can think of names and we won't go there, but we can think of names of individuals who, who have fallen and it's come out in the news because of their being a high profile type of person. And, and people say, well, okay, so here's this biblical scholar and communicator and, and look at their life. And, and similar to what we just talked about with these, with these biblical characters, we would say of, of these, Hey, look, and that's once again, you know, God's point has never been to glorify man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we would be in a world of hurt if, if, if our salvation, if the goodness of God granted to us was somehow contingent upon some human's ability to make that happen in any way. The fact that he uses, as Paul talks about, earthen vessels, he uses human communicators, including you and me. We're flawed people, yep. right? Uh, and Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners, right? At the end, toward the end of his life, he said that. So this is not about people. And so when I hear those stories and I have friends who are, you know, atheists or agnostics, and a lot of times they'll try to kind of put that in my, oh, one of your guys uh, fell again. I'm like, hey, look, I, I, it's tragic. It's grievous. In some ways, it's it's not surprising to me because I know what the Bible says about human nature. Right. And but by the grace of God, that could be me. So 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 I try to highlight, hey, this is all of grace, man. And 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 he's the hero. Uh, you know, we get to talk about him. That's a tremendous blessing that we get to do this. You and I get paid to do this as our profession. We're super thankful. It's amazing. May God preserve us. May God protect mm-hmm. us and our families and our ministries. But it is like from A to Z all of him. And so when someone falls, I'm sad. Um, but it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't take away the foundation of my faith. It, it doesn't somehow rattle me to think, oh no, you know, maybe this whole thing's a sham because some guy, you know, was two-faced and hypocritical or whatever. Like, no, that's the Bible diagnosis. The Bible says that's about what nature is like. And so. If, if it were to shatter my faith yep. because a human being fell or imbibed in sin or catered to sin and, mm-hmm. and harbored sin and cherished sin and, and continue to perpetually hide their sin. If, if that shatters my faith in whom is my faith? Yeah. Right. Yep. That man yep. or woman, they cannot bear the weight of saviorhood. Yep. I cannot bear the weight of saviorhood. I want to be an example to the flock. Yep. I'm called right. to be an example yep. to the flock. Yep. I, I I want and for, before for, the watching world too. Yep. I want yep. for, for sure. goodness and truth mm-hmm. and and uh integrity. I want them all to be seen in my life. But if someone is building their faith based on me, I'm pointing to me. Yep. I don't point to me when I get up in the pulpit. I don't point right. to me when I'm behind this microphone, looking at this camera, looking at you. Right. If 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 I point you to me and say, "Look, follow my example," 
all I'm doing is setting you, you and me up for yep. drastic failure. Yep. And colossal disappointment. What we want to do <laughs> yep. and what we are doing and will continue to do until someone doesn't let us anymore, the Lord takes us home, is we say, look this way. You look into the word, look this way. When you look this way from yep. the word, you say, oh my goodness, this is not good. Yep. But then we look away yep. and up. And we see, look, at every single turn, no matter what the situation is, Jesus always obeyed. He never catered. He never cherished. He never hid. He laid down his life as a perfect, sinless sacrifice. He bore my sin, all of it, so that I would never be condemned. He's been raised. He's declared me righteous, so I will always be accepted He's seated at the right hand of God as Jesus Christ, the righteous, my advocate. And when he defends me, he doesn't say, oh, look, you know, he might have messed up in that area, but look at all these other good things he did. (laughs) He says, no, he's covered. He's pure. He's holy. He's righteous because I bore every ounce of his sin and I have given him every ounce of the righteousness needed for him to enter heaven's gates forever. We point people to him. I'm not pointing people to me. Again, I want to demonstrate truth and love and life and peace and patience and kindness in all the fruitful demonstrations of the spirit. I want to, that's my endeavor. Yep. And at times we exhibit those fruits. And and that's a gracious gift of the Lord. I, I think it's a miracle. Yep. I agree. It is a miracle. Yep. And there are other times that I demonstrate something different than that. Yep. I, I get frustrated or covetous or gluttonous or impatient, can get angry. I'm not proud of any of that. I'm not saying, yeah. oh, look at me, a, a, a gluttonous yeah. sinner. Come and yeah. follow yeah, me. Yeah, come, let's go do this and no, taste that's, some death together, that's, right? That's, that's terrible. I don't want to do right. that. But I stand forgiven. I don't rest in my sin, I rest in my Savior. And then the Lord graciously is at work to transform me and change me and, and give me these glimpses of his truth and grace and, and, and righteousness. I'm, I'm declared righteous, and, and he, he demonstrates some of his righteousness mm-hmm. in my life. And I say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. So I don't look to these guys and, and it doesn't yep. shatter my faith because my faith was never in them. Yep. And yep. it's it's really a, a, a poor place to start your Christian journey or maintain your Christian journey by looking to people yep. as the basis of your faith. Yep. So if there've never been the basis of your faith, your faith can't crumble because they fell. Right. And and I think it's it's important to recognize that that's one of those fallen tendencies. You see that in first Corinthians, Paul's addressing, Hey, there's some following after Apollos and mm. some are after Cephas and some are following Paul himself. And he's, he's, he's addressing that. Yes. And, and, and so it's something to be addressed in our lives and the lives of, of our people. It's going to be a constant temptation, but circling back to and standing, you know, endeavoring to stand firmly on the foundation of the whole point of this thing is Christ as Savior. And maybe we end on this note, you know, everything we see in Scripture, and I think what we hope for our, you know, in our studies and as we talk and try to help other people in in just studying Scripture and enjoying the Word of God, the 
the two things to keep in mind, and there's different ways we could say it, but we could say, hey, in some way, this is pointing to my need and God's provision, to my sin and God's salvation. Uh, one way I like to say it is even going back to the imagery of the Garden of Eden and what happened with Adam and Eve, like it's exposure. It exposes what is true of me. It diagnoses, and I've done a lot of studying uh, from in the fields of psychology and psychiatry and other fields to try to understand human beings. And of all the different things that have been said, I believe the Bible most clearly and accurately describes and diagnoses the human condition. So it diagnoses me and it provides the deliverance that I need that I also can't find anywhere else. And I certainly can't find it, as we've been saying, in myself. Mm -hmm. But there's a God who loves me, who's for me, through Christ has granted me everything I need for wholeness, for wellness, for peace, for love and joy and all those other great fruits. And and we get a taste of them and that's great. Someday we'll get to be home and we'll have nothing but that. And it will be because, and First John says this, we will be like him because we see him as he is. We'll finally see him and know I've got everything. And then yes. that, the, the fruit of that will be nothing but, again, love and joy and everlasting celebration. So, so that is, from our perspective, the point. Uh, we covered a lot of ground. There's a lot more we could say, as always. Uh, but we, we covered a lot, and I, I hope that's helpful. It was certainly encouraging to me. I believe it was encouraging to you. I hope it it's is. helpful for, for anyone who will watch and listen and uh, look, forward to, uh, look forward to the next one. Yeah, me too. You know, this is why it's yeah. such a delight to open God's word because we're seeing him. Yeah, that's we're right. Him. Would you close in prayer, Rob? Let's do that. Thanks, brother. Our Father, you're so good and kind. Your provisions are abundant. Um, and most clearly you have provided for us life through uh, your son and our savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your willingness to take on human flesh, to live perfectly in my place, and to take my sin upon you, uh, and to take it so far away that I'll never, ever hear from it uh, in your presence. You'll never call me to account on it because you've dealt with it forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the righteousness you provided for me in the life. Thank you, Spirit of God, for making me alive that I might be awakened to the truth of uh, what a great God I have and how you've revealed yourself in the Bible. We pray that you'd help us to see you more clearly than ever before as we open the pages of Scripture. I pray for each one watching or listening that you would do this uh, gracious work in their lives as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.